Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which was rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. My guest today on The Enemies List is I Am Politics Girl. You've heard of her many, many times. It's Leah McGowan joining me today on The Enemies List. How are you? I am good. I am currently in Canada, which is a real trip, leaving the States for a little bit and getting a little perspective because we all know it's gone a little bananas down there. And mm-hmm. everyone who I know growing up with, you know, they look at me like, what's going on in your country? And I'm like, it's questionable, right? Yeah, we're having a moment right now of uh, <laughs> of radical uncertainty and, and a lot of chaos. In the face of that chaos we're having in the country, Something weird seems to be working for Joe Biden. It's the the economy seems to be taking off at a level no one could have anticipated. It's like a shining spot. I don't really don't think he's getting enough credit for it yet, but it seems, I mean, knock on wood, whistle past the graveyard, all that stuff. Seems like it's kind of working. Well, the thing is, I mean, he's never going to get enough credit for it, period, the end. I mean, he could literally, you know, get his cancer moonshot and he wouldn't get the credit for it. He wouldn't even get the credit from the Democrats. They just like to destroy him no matter what. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's that surprising. I mean, if you run a country with the idea of fixing things for people, as opposed to just tearing people down in order to bring yourself up, things work. If you pass things like the CHIPS Act and you get new manufacturing back in the States, you're going to create jobs. You know, if you pass an infrastructure act, you're going to actually create jobs and create new products. And if you pass things to give people jobs, they're going to have jobs. So when you look at a jobs report and you're like, oh man, we were only expecting 200,000 jobs. This is almost 500,000 jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Because government can work when it's running to work as opposed to whatever your ex-party is doing. Uh, It really is striking because in, in my old party, we spent years and years and years and years saying everything about government is broken. Nothing can possibly do anything except massive tax cuts at the top end of the spectrum. And it seems like there is a model emerging here. I think Democrats don't quite want to embrace it yet either because it's not the full boat, progressive, Bernie, whatever. But it's also not uh, trickle down, traditional business knows best and, and, and only knows how to do it. It's, it's just a striking kind of moment, I think. I think it's actually a really exciting moment if people could open their eyes to it, to be quite honest, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because I'm a big believer in the idea that politics can be a force for good in the world. And I think for so long, it wasn't. Even in our founding documents, which I see more as common sense by Thomas Paine, he basically said government is a necessary evil, Mm -hmm. right? Like you need it in order to make things work, especially with this many people. So this idea that the Republicans have always run on that's, you know, government is the problem. Government is broken. We need less government. Yes and no. We can't have too much government. Like I said, I'm in Canada right now. There is definitely a bureaucracy problem where you have to go through 17 levels just to pick a paint color for the TTC. You know, like that's problematic. That is too much government. And yet government can be a real force for good 
when it is in service of the people. And I think that's the thing. If you look at what we're doing right now with what Joe Biden is doing, what his people are doing, it's in service of the people. What is best for the people? You know, getting broadband to all the people is what's best for the people because nowadays, you know, you need broadband just as much as you need electricity to run a business. Sure. You and I are having this conversation over broadband. You 100%. can't do that. So he's saying, hey, if we want to be a government that works for all the people, we need to get all of our people broadband. That is forward thinking from government about the people, what's best for the country. And I think when we look at it like that, that's how government can work. And I think people are going, oh, I see. If you tell me government's always the problem, which the Republicans do, and then you get into power and you just cause problems, then you're a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is what, say, the Republican House is doing. But if you get into power and you actually try to solve problems, even with people trying to stop you at every single juncture, you can get things accomplished. And the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency, he got a lot accomplished. So even if he is stymied for the next two years by this Republican House, we're going to see the results of what he already accomplished happening because there's a lot of there's a big difference between getting a ribbon cut in front of where a factory will be and actually building that factory sure. and hiring people to work in it. So, you know, you mentioned something that, that struck me just now. It's a lot of the Republicans who have been the obstacles to many of these things and who fought them tooth and nail. He still managed to bring up bring enough of them over the line in the CHIPS Act, in the infrastructure bill in the Inflation Reduction Act. And he's had a better bipartisan run, don't you think? That I mean, honestly, since about LBJ, we have not seen so, – and that was a very special circumstance a, – a first-term president with this level of economic as, uh, and legislative success. Well, I mean, it's almost as if knowing how the job works is helpful, right? He has been around for a minute in in that city. Why, yes. Mm -hmm. It's uh, (laughs) it's almost like if you understand what you're getting into and you understand how it works and you understand how, you know, like they said when Trump got into the White House, his people couldn't even find the light switches, you know, like that kind of thing. Whereas Joe Biden has been in government since he turned 30 years old, you know, and now we all know because we talk about his age constantly, he's 80. You know, but people make fun of him constantly. People made fun of him constantly. Oh, you know, I was like, oh, really? Is he going to do bipartisanship with this Republican caucus? Like, uh, and yet, oh, he I, was, believes, I, was, I was equally skeptical, not lying. Yeah. And yet here he is getting things done in a bipartisan manner. Now, I don't think he's getting much done with this particular Republican House. And yet the last one, he really did get things done. And I mm-hmm. think. It's so easy to be cynical in the world that we have created. And yet here is a man, which I think is the point of the presidency, honestly, who believes in the good in people, who believes in the good in his fellow man, who believes government can work and believes in bipartisanship. The problem is, even if you are a bipartisan Republican member, if you are someone who is willing to reach across the aisle, nowadays... You're going to get primaried for that. Oh, Nowadays, yeah. Oh, yeah. you're going to get in trouble from your own party. So even people, it reminds me kind of of cops. You know, when people say, oh, you know, but there's all these good cops and, you know, th- but they don't speak up because they can't because there's this thin blue line. So you say, OK, well, unfortunately, it's not just a couple of bad apples. The right. expression is a couple of bad apples spoils the bunch. And that's where we are with Congress, too. It's like mm-hmm. I might be willing to reach across the aisle. But I'm not allowed to because my own party is going to primary me for even attempting to make government work. That is a problem. Uh, it, it exists on both sides of the aisle, but on on the Republican side, it is now particularly acute. It is now particularly sharp and and painful for them because 
they recognize that there's this that does not. And as much as Republicans would like to believe this, there is no such equivalent of the media infrastructure of Fox, OAN, Newsmax, all the Facebook weirdness, all the rumble, all the other right wing media stuff. They don't have Democrats have pressure politically from from their more progressive members, but they don't have this organized purity driven machine pushing against them like the Republicans do. You know, it's interesting you would say that because I do think sometimes Democrats can get a little purity testy. Oh, yeah. And especially from the the further left parts of our party. I think that we are in a moment where Democrats used to be their own worst enemy. And now we're in a moment where Republicans have made themselves so clearly the problem right. that the Democrats are able to work together better than they have in a long time. And I always say, you know, people ask for more than two parties. They say it's unfair. We shouldn't have this two party system. It, you know, I want to choose someone else. And, right. But the thing is, is that we have you're you're a perfect example. You know, you're a founder of the Lincoln Project. You are definitely uh, what I would call an old school classic conservative Republican. And yet you are in the same camp as me, sure. who is a uh, liberal Democrat. I'm not probably, I wouldn't consider myself probably a progressive Democrat, even though I believe in all those ideals. And then there are people who are even farther to the left of me. And we all fall under the same umbrella. So in some ways right now, anyone who believes in democracy is working in kind of like a uh, new parliamentary system all under the umbrella of Mm -hmm. the Democrats, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. the Republicans have gone so far in one direction that, you know, we can't pretend. I mean, you and I talk about the same thing. Sure. We're, we're really in the fight for democracy at this point. And what the Republicans are offering us is some form of authoritarianism, white Christian nationalism. And if you don't believe in that, you're over on this camp. And that is a lot of different people from Joe Manchin to AOC. You know, that's right. I mean, that's yeah. five parties no, you're, right there. You're exactly right. <laughs> I am a guy who believes in the Constitution, the rule of law, mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm. responsibility, personal liberty, all those things. And the weird thing is the the Republican Party that I grew up in had this whole spectrum of belief inside of it. But now it has one set of beliefs, and it is this culture war Christian nationalism with a yeah. statist authoritarian mode of governance. And I'm sorry, I, I am much less comfortable with that than I am with having to deal with being in a part of a coalition where I may be on the right wing of that coalition, but that right wing of that coalition is pretty much in the center of where a lot of people are. And it's been interesting for me as somebody who was a very partisan, very stark political force on the, in the Republican party to like the, the shattering part of it is like guys like me and Stuart Stevens and Reed and all these other people who walked away from the GOP, it's like all of a sudden we were like the, the consultants, the cynics, the hacks. And now we like, we were the one fucking group of people who like believed in all of that shit. What the hell is that about? Because yeah. you know, the, the, the people who are in office now uh, and an increasing percentage of them are, they are not believers in, in, in Western democracy. They are believers no. in autocracy. They think that they need to, race to the finish line, purge the culture, restore racial purity to the country, restore pure Christian governance, whatever, whatever the fuck that means. And it's terrifying. I mean, I look at that. I look at that. And and like you said, we're all in this sort of broad pro-democracy fight right now. So to pull back a little bit, how do you think that fight is going right now in the country? How do you, what's your, what's your take on it? 
I alternate between being optimistic and 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 terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Rick. Oh my God. I mean, listen, my entire, my entire platform, right. Is to like, I don't do the news. I kind of explain the news, Mm -hmm. right. I do big picture stuff. Like I'll take all the news and I'll make it make sense and put it in context for people. Right. Right. You had Margaret Hoover on recently and she does firing line, which is kind of doing the same thing. It's like long form, real discussion, uh, not live where people can just say random things and you have to go back later and be like, by the way, that thing they said on my show was a total lie. You know, it's taped so you can fix it and make Mm -hmm. an actual story for people that is true. When I do interviews and talk to people, it's, it's not to figure out a story. It's to make the story understandable to other people. Right. So as far as how I think it's going, I think it's going better than I would like, and also worse than I would hope. So I'm so shocked that there are so many people who are just tying themselves into absolute pretzels, trying to explain away the behavior of their savior. Mm -hmm. I find that astounding. It still surprises me. I mean, daily it surprises me because I think, you know, I can understand where you could come out, you know, with the Stormy Daniels stuff. We knew it, blah, blah, blah. But this Espionage Act stuff, this is really... Oh, yeah. Truly serious allegations. That's the real shit. (laughs) I mean, and the fact that people are like, oh, well, and they've got themselves in these absolute upside down positions to try and explain away this behavior where it should be very cut and dry, like, holy hell, he's on tape now saying he did. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, come on, how many times do we need to do this? That part really surprises me because I realize that they don't even care. They don't care who the leader is. They don't care who's in charge. They don't care if he's a terrible mastermind criminal or an idiot mastermind criminal or, uh, you know, whoever he is. He's their criminal. (laughs) He belongs to them and he represents what they want. And the thing that I I think what upsets me is, is that the media is going along with it. The mainstream media is going along with it. They're still trying to both Mm. sides this where there isn't both sides. And I think you and I both agree that, If we allow this version of the Republican Party, whether it's led by Donald Trump or whether it's led by Ron DeSantis, back into power, based on what we're seeing in the House, based on what Trump wanted to do while firing, you know, 50,000 people and putting in only loyalists, this kind of stuff, we'd be entering some stage of, you know what, I think you and I both agree is a sort of Putinism, right? Like an oligarchy authoritarian system Mm -hmm. that... If we allow any of these Republican candidates to not only become the nominee, but get power again, we're never going back. We're right. never going back to a democracy. And so it, it astounds me that these kind of rich donors are still donating to this world, thinking that they're going to keep their lifestyle. They're going to keep their democracy. They're going to keep going and be able to give all their money to their kids when they're done. And they don't think that they're going to have to pay a fee to the authoritarian government every single time to keep their position. Because people forget that when Putin came into power, he basically went around to all the oligarchs, all the rich people and said, you know what, give me half your money or I'll throw you in jail and take it all, you know? And people forget. And if you don't think Donald Trump is going to do that, you're out of your mind. You know, he, he's going to take over. And, and even the richest donors don't realize that it seems, you know, they, they really don't. And, Here's the thing. They all had this kind of brief flirtation with Ron DeSantis at the at the billionaire hedge fund establishment donor level. <laughs> yeah, where he they still all has a thought, bunch of them in his- "Ooh, he's going to be great. He's so slick. He's a, he's got an Ivy League education, don't you know?" And all this all this bullshit in their minds was that he would be Trump without all the crazy. He'd be Trump without. You know, he'd be Trump run through the car wash, cleaned up, 
you know, the, the 2023 model. And it was always bullshit. But yeah. DeSantis is, has just demonstrated the same kind of authoritarian status mo- mo- motions that Trump. Trump in the first term was too mentally fucked up to actually do it. And the people around him were such a mixed bag that they weren't really quite there for it. You know, you had you had the ones who could do it, like Bannon or Miller, offset by Gary Cohn or Ivanka and Jared. You know, none of them are good people, but all of them are in a situation where there was a dynamic. This time, if you put DeSantis or Trump in the White House, they're going to do what what DeSantis is doing in Florida. If you're a political yeah. enemy, you get punished. If you're if you're a a political ally who hasn't given him money that week, you're going to get punished. If you don't if you don't play the game, this is this sort of kleptocracy model. You're, I think you had a good point because Putin really was, you know, and when he came on board, no one thought this guy's a, a sweet sort of Western oriented reformer. Nobody was buying the like there was no like Yuri and drop off. He likes jazz bullshit. He was a former KGB <laughs> guy. But these guys are and there is a growing movement. You see it with Hawley, Cruz, Rubio, Cotton and a few others where they now believe that that the, the power of the state should be exercised for their political ends. I think you and I agree that if you, if you are paying attention to democracy or history at all is fucking terrifying. It's terrifying. And I think that is the thing that makes me feel a little bit more hopeful. Cause I was saying, you know, I get depressed watching this, but I feel like the more people that understand how terrifying it is, the more people that understand how close we are to this kind of a future, how quickly we could become oh, hungry, yes. how quickly we could become Russia, honestly, the better off we are. And I do think the young people get it, which is thrilling. Yep. I do think that women get it. I think they bit off way more than they could chew with that Dobbs decision dog because I think car. women are like, hold up. Exactly. Dog that caught the car. I mean, it's this is the first time you started taking rights from people. And now we're seeing the Supreme Court just just taking, 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 taking. And I always think like, geez, if the Democrats don't run on court reform, they are missing the freaking boat because <laughs> it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you have the power of Congress and the majority will of 300 million Americans, if the majority will of nine unelected people can just overturn all our laws. So we need to look at that if we're going to actually have a functioning democracy moving forward. Look, I, I, I think that the that the degree to which the Supreme Court has become an inadvertent ally of the pro-democracy forces by, ba- by basically saying we're approaching the end state of a 50-year attempt by mm-hmm. the FedSoc and the far right, and particularly on the social conservative th- questions, a particular slice of the Christian evangelical far right. Because look, they're not done. They're trying to overturn Obergefell. They're trying to end gay marriage in this country. They believe that 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 gay Americans are second class citizens in every regard, and just like women. <laughs> well, and, and and women aren't far behind. Listen, I I, I was having a conversation the other day. My mom couldn't have a bank account with her name on it until 1972 in the state of Florida. Okay? That's right. And which is when you look at it now, that's insane. But there's a weird, dark, creepy streak inside a lot of this a lot of the movement that helped put them there in, in those in those seats in the court. And and mm-hmm. while while I think the simplest possible thing to run on, the easiest fix that isn't like a giant constitutional time bomb is term limits. You're on the court for 20 years and you're out. Boom. 
done. Yeah. Well, it would have to be term limits for the federal court. I mean, I think that's the thing that people don't realize is that there are things you could do, right? Yeah. Like when you say, when you say lifetime appointments, it's lifetime appointment to the federal bench, not lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. We've just never changed that. We could. We could have every single court case televised. We could, I'm a Mm -hmm. big believer in expanding the court to quite a few, like quite a lot bigger. Um, We could definitely have 13 to match the federal districts of the appellate courts, but I think we should have 27. I think we should have two straight courts of nine or two courts of 13 that rotate, that pick their cases randomly by a computer algorithm. So you don't know which justices you're working with. You don't know who you're working with on each given day. And you can't take a court case to the Supreme Court knowing the result. Because that's where we are now. Right. I mean, the system you, you've got been... Thomas saying, bring me gay marriage, you know, right. and everyone's like, yeah, we've got the votes. That should not, that's not, that's not the law being blind. Right. They've that gained, is the law gained, telling you. The, the, the federal, federal society has now gamed the system so thoroughly with the court that, that it's, a, and look, I know people who are working on issues that they've been, that they've been slow marching for 25 mm-hmm. years through the court. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think our Democratic friends often underestimate is yes you know what a lot of republicans and magas are these are these people who are like mouth-breathing fox viewers but there are also a lot of the most brilliant goddamn lawyers in the world who are grinding away at an ideological project that has been going on for 50 years and if you underestimate them if you if you laugh them off you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna wake up shocked because even when the court wasn't as dominated by the conservative part of the bench, it was still producing a lot of results that had been part of that broader conservative ideological project. Democrats, to their detriment, have absolutely underestimated this group. And uh, Leonard Leo himself is an absolute Svengali of this entire thing. He's a genius. He's a genius. Love him or hate him, he's a He's a genius. And the fact that he's now moving his, he's like, got the courts moving over here to Tenio to do everything else. You know, like, we're going to do education. We're going to do civil rights. We're going to, and I'm like, uh, is anyone watching him? Because the man's a genius and he's just changed his, his tax. He's got a billion six six in the bank. And even if he just parked that in a damn money market fund, that million six is going to throw off enough money every year to, to make, I mean, the right real damage. The right yeah, loves projection. I, I mean, I I know this. I used to play this ball game, but that million six will throw off more money than George Soros kicks in every year. And and for the Republicans, they think, oh my God, George Soros is spending millions. No, I'm sorry, folks. Think again. But well, George Soros' son is in charge now. As far yes, as I he is, and, and he likes us a lot. He likes democracy a lot. Apparently, he's a pro democracy kind of guy. And I like a <laughs> I like a pro democracy kind of guy. <laughs> Me too. And like that's the thing. At the end of the day, I really I think we can't underestimate these people. I mean, you're talking about a 50 year plan. This is a 50 right. year plan. I think often Democrats work within you know like oh we're coming up to the next election we're going to start putting in the work two years before here and the conservative minds the people that didn't like gay rights didn't like women's rights didn't like workers rights would love us to go back to a time with robber barons where you can treat women however you wanted child to and tell minorities where to go and child labor we're already doing that Woo-hoo! i really do think that they have made a concerted effort for a long time to chip away oh yeah and they are now seeing you know it's water on a stone they're now seeing a mm-hmm. real change happening. And 
The majority of the country does not believe that. The majority of the country does not want our 12-year-olds working in chemical factories. The majority of the country does not believe that we should have women bleeding out in parking lots because they can't get the medical care they need. The majority of the country believes in gay marriage. The majority of the country believes women should get their own credit cards and be able to get divorced if they want to. But we need that majority to come out and, and fight back because they have been putting together this structure for far longer than we've been paying That's attention right. to it. That's right. The child labor stuff is just like the tip of a new a new iceberg at the state level it, of unga- I mean, listen, child labor is one of those things as a country you should be proud you don't have child labor as a country. You should be I proud know. as a country you don't have 12-year-olds working in meat packing plants. That you know, the, up next, what is it? The children <laughs> yearn to go in the pits in the coal mines Please, again. Please the send them here. to send them away. Are there no workhouses? <laughs> I mean, it is it an is. astounding development, and and I do think in some of this, these states that it's that's suddenly legal in you know places like Arkansas, Missouri. Those places are, you know, if you want to look at red state experiments, see how that works out for families five, ten years from now. They will be out of those states. They will leave. Because yeah, but the thing is, is that like, it's the same thing where you feel like if you are on the side of child labor, you're on the wrong side. And it's the same <laughs> thing where I believe like, if you're on the side of book banning, you're on the wrong side. We shouldn't be de- like, how is this up for debate in America? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, land of the free where people are like, oh, well, we're going to get rid of this book on Hank Aaron or, right. you know, Rosa. We don't Parks. want those what kids to read about that dangerous Antifa rebel Rosa Parks. They banned freaking James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. I was like. Because it was cross-dressing, you know, caterpillar. And I'm like, oh, my God. We've absolutely lost the plot. So my hope is, is that enough people will see that we've absolutely lost the plot, that there's enough Republicans, at least, and definitely independents that are like, oof, this is extreme. This is too extreme for me. My tax cuts are great, but like, woof is where we're at. My hope is, I always think about Tom Cruise, you know, Tom Cruise during those movies, mm. the Mission Impossible movies. Mm. And it's like, Tom did all of his own stunts. And you're like, oh, my God. He's like hanging off the back of a right, 747 right. or like driving his motorcycle <laughs> off, off a cliff. A cliff. And, <laughs> yeah. And and every time I watch this movie, I go, God damn, this guy is just the last of the old movie stars. He is so good at this. And yet, if you tell me one day he dies doing one of those stunts, I'm going to be like, well, oh, yeah, I mean, eventually this is going to happen. And that's kind of how I feel about what the Republican Party has tied themselves to. Like they've tied themselves to the motorcycle going off the cliff. And eventually it has been successful for them. But eventually I believe it will crash because they will go too far. And that's that's kind of what I'm seeing happening. And I'm hoping that we can get enough people to understand where we're at that. Right that we can still keep our country intact while we do it. Because if we don't get it together, the next couple of elections, particularly 24, we're not having a comeback without real violence. And I I think we'd all love to avoid that. Yeah, I I tell people that a lot. I'm like, look, don't think that if you get Trump back in 24, you put Ron DeSantis in there in 24, that 2028 looks like an American presidential election. It's going to look like Saddam Hussein, where where the dear leader gets 117% of the vote, and mm-hmm. it's a you know pro forma democracy show, but it's not a democracy anymore. It's not a republic. It's it's a, Belarus, right? It, right. right? Yeah. I mean, he lost. He lost. Lost clear to Tikinskaya, and then they kicked her out of the country. 
you know, threatened to take her kids. Then they, well, you know, he went to Putin and he was like, everyone's, everyone's in the streets. Everyone's angry. And Putin was like, arrest a certain amount yeah. of people, kill a couple of people and they'll stop. That's how it works. You know? And that's how it will work. There was a scene in the television program of Handmaid's Tale mm -hmm. that really struck me. I had to stop watching it because it just felt too close to home. And they had people protesting when they took the ability of women to go to work away from women. Right. And, you know, there's that scene where all the women are told that they have to leave the office and they're all looking around like, is this for real? And the men are like, is this for real? And no one actually says anything because they can't believe it's for real. And sure. then, you know, being Americans, they all get out there to protest and they're in the street and they open fire mm -hmm. on all the people and then people run away and then they don't protest again. And that is how it happens. That's how it happens. And we like to think that we'd be so brave and out there, but people would become afraid very fast. And so I think we have to be really serious about what these people that we would put in charge of the Republican Party would do to us. And you don't have to look much further than Florida to see that. Um, listen, as a Florida man, a Florida resident, a fifth generation <laughs> You are Floridian, not a Florida man. Unless there's an alligator off screen, I can't see. <laughs> there's an alligator, I kid you not, about 75 feet that way in my pond right now. In my lake Look right at now. you. Are you going to wrestle it or take it to like a drive-thru? We'll see what happens with this alligator. <laughs> we'll see what happens with this one. I do not have a current alligator hunting permit in the state of Florida, so I'm not going to shoot it. But they have eaten dogs on my property before. So it's, it's, it's you know, look, the rule about Florida is simple. It's beautiful. It's a warm place to die. The taxes are low. And something is always trying to kill you. Every minute of the day, whether it's an animal or a person, something in Florida is always trying to kill you. Well, listen, with that, Leah McGowan, thank you so, so much for coming on the enemies list today. Uh, I really appreciate it. What a fun conversation. And I hope we can have you back soon. I would love that. Hey, That'd tell people great. where they can find you on social media and tell us oh, about your podcast. Absolutely. So um, I am I am politics girl on all the socials. And uh, my podcast is called The Politics Girl Project. And what we do is we just break down all the biggest issues of the day so people can understand them. So if we're talking about the Supreme Court or we're talking about voting rights or we're talking about certain big elections that are coming up, I'll break it down for you so you understand it. We just did a great one on Christian nationalism. We did a great one on we need to talk about Florida <laughs> for obvious reasons. So people can really understand it. I do all the reading of the news so you can understand it. I want you to feel smarter. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Leah, thank you again for joining us today. And I will You're talk to you welcome. again very soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times, please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah but you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.